the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Today on the Country Hour, giant supermarket Coles has cleared the last regulatory hurdle to allow it to enter the dairy processing industry. It is buying two factories from Saputo, one in Melbourne, one in Sydney. And despite the industry's concerns, Coles will now be a major fresh milk dairy processor. We'll get the information from the ACCC on the program today. You'll also hear from Victorian Water Minister Harriet Shing. Victoria, the only state not to sign up to the latest iteration of the Basin Plan. It's opposed to water buybacks. The federal government says it can come back, come into the market and buy water in Victoria anyway. Is that the case? What is the legal advice Victoria's water minister is getting? She'll tell you today on the program. I hope you can join us for that. whole lot more coming up there. I also want to know how much rain you've had. Gippsland, I'm looking at you. That East Coast low just sat there for a very, very long period. I want to know what your rain totals are like. You can send us a text 0467 842 722 or give me a call. Let me know what it looks like. 1300 977 2. Right now, let's get some rural news with the excellent Emma Field. Emma. G'day Warwick. Let's start rural news with the weather. First, in New South Wales in the Upper Hunter. Most of 2023 has been spent in this region feeding livestock, but in a turnaround during November, many farmers have seen more rain in a month than the rest of the year combined. Selena Crow runs an Angus stud near Tymore, and she says the rain is a relief because, frankly, she hates the taste of carted town water. Well, in the last sort of 10 days, um, we've seen a difference because we've had 76 mils of rain, which is fantastic. So everything's slowly starting to green up a little bit. So it's um, a bit of relief, but we desperately still need the follow-up rain. That's what's really going to keep keep us going in that. I mean, the, for the last 10 months, we've been feeding our cattle like probably nearly everyone else. Yeah. We ran out of soft water, so drinking water, probably six or seven months ago but we were actually having to cart water in little 20 litre carry drums from my parents place so Tuesday I was at home and I was able to go to the sink and get a drink of water and it was it was fantastic to have the taste of rainwater again. Oh, so. it really is a little... Down at Brayboy near Scone Steve Wicks says November saw the best falls in more than 12 months. We hadn't even had um, 300 mil of rain up to the weekend and, um, yeah, thanks to the um, Aussie hay runners that bought our Christmas present real early, we received a nice load of hay and plus 55 mil of rain for the weekend. And then we finished up with 100 and 103 mil for the month. And the rain over the last three weeks has seen cattle markets lift across many livestock regions. 3,000 head was yarded at Gunnedah this week, with restockers more active than they've been in months. Tamworth Stock and Station agent Chris Patterson says there were plenty of smiles at the rails as price doubled for some lines. Especially young cattle, the restocker cattle, jumped up a heap. They've probably nearly doubled, uh, the young cattle. So, yeah, you see a lot of young steers making $3.50 a kilo now, where they're only making that dollar seventy-five there a month ago, uh, heifers making up towards three dollars, and yeah, they're only making you know dollar ten or twenty. So rain over most areas, everyone's got a, seems to have got rain over the last few weeks and um, improved the market big time. Meanwhile, in Central Australia, Alice Springs was battered by a violent storm yesterday, which cut power to about four thousand homes after major damage to power infrastructure. The supercell storm tore through the town about four o'clock yesterday afternoon with images from Alice Springs showing trees ripped from the ground across the town, palm trees on fire after being struck by lightning and piles of hail which looked like snow. And Tasmania's Environmental Protection Agency has defended its decision to grant a two-year lease extension to 10 salmon farms in Macquarie Harbour. The extension was granted yesterday but includes new conditions around water quality, monitoring and efforts to address oxygen depletion. The harbour is home to an endangered skate fish species with Federal Environment Minister Tanya Plebisek currently considering a request from environmental groups to reconsider approvals for salmon farm expansions. And finally, it's a fruit that looks like a Christmas bauble, and now it's in season on farms around northern Northern Australia. I'm talking about ramutams. Have you tried one, Was? 
Kerry Upini has Northern Territory's largest rambutan farm, just near Darwin. He planted an 100 extra trees this year because of surging demand. Well, demand's always been good. Um, and, uh, you know, it's sort of a bit of a resurgence going on because I notice a lot of young farmers uh, are now thinking, well, rambutans might be a good alternative uh, fruit crop for the north here. And uh, I think that's what's driving it. But hopefully we'll all make a buck out of it, uh, you know. So uh, demand should increase and that should be able to uh, take up the increased uh, production that will be coming through in the future. And so this season, Kerry, how is it shaping up? Well, potentially we'll have fruit in January and as we always hope, get over the Holy Grail of getting to Lunar New Year and uh, if that's the case then it's it's on. So hopefully we'll make it. Merry Christmas, Kerry. (laughs) Merry Christmas, Matt. And keep eating rambutans. And Warwick, speaking of Christmas, I know you're about to take a bit of well-deserved Christmas leave, so that means it's our last day working together on the Country Hour. Sadly, I'm leaving ABC Rural soon. What a privilege it's been to work for our ABC Rural audience together. Now, I'm off to find a rambutan for Christmas lunch. And that's a wrap on Rural News. Oh, I hope we can enjoy a rambutan together sometime soon, Emmerfield. You've been an absolutely fantastic servant for ABC Rural. Uh, with us for a little bit longer, but I won't be here to work with Emma. Emma's been brilliant. Uh, we couldn't have made it through the last year without her. And uh, I'm not going to say any more because you don't need me crying on the country, Al. Um, but has been fantastic, Emma. It's brilliant. And uh, I'll always remember f- quite fondly our time working together. So thank you for that. You're listening to The Country Hour Work along with you on the program. Luke at Cobain's, uh, just near Sale there, 162 millimetres since it started on Friday Arvo. Whew. There's big figures coming out of Gippsland. I have another Gippsland figure here too. Uh, let me just scroll down to find it. I think it came from Shane earlier this morning. It was up around the 118 millimetre mark, which is just incredible too. And we had a uh, 155 millimetres in the last week at Max Creek. So huge figures coming in. Send us a text, 0467 842 722. Tell us what the rain's doing, how much you've had, but what it's doing at your place too, what it means. It may seem boring to you in terms of the management of your property, but it is great information for the audience to hear. Love hearing that. So they, please uh, please keep that going. Victorian Water Minister coming up on the country. Air, speaking of water of a different kind, but before that, let's keep talking about the rain. Farmers across Gippsland are stoked. I love that word with this week's rain, which has been steady and delivered a boost to paddocks. Vicky Hiscock runs a beef and dairy operation at Tanamba, downstream of Lake Glen Maggie. She told Fiona Broom the soaking has absolutely turned their season around and instead of spending time and money irrigating, the rain means she can tackle some other jobs like clearing out the shed. This is our third day of rain and I think we've got another one to go, but you know, you can't control what you can't control, and it certainly turned our season around no end. What was your um, what was your your year looking like a couple of months ago? Well, I know in September, uh, end of August, early September, we got the seed drill out, and we were drilling as much as we possibly could because we had a. It was so dry. We were activating a drought plan. We thought we would sow as much country, and use all our water before Christmas. So we had to grow our fodder and activate. Uh, our drought plan and then at 1st of October it started raining and our irrigation we were probably uh, at least halfway through our water right and then the rain in October the flood in October um, set our water right back to um, zero um, with our spill then we've had this godsend so our season has turned from doom and gloom to absolutely amazing. How much rain have you had over the the latest rain event? Well, actually, I stopped measuring after the first two days. <laughs> we had well over a hundred mils, and what does it matter after then? So, um, yes, we more watch what um, Southern Rural Water are doing with Lake Glen Maggie. That's more important to us. Uh, we've laser graded all our um, bays, so our water runs off, and we can handle localized rain. It's what um, the boys at Southern Rural Water do with Lake Glen Maggie and the Weir. So we watch that because all our river country goes under. So we've put all of our cattle up to high country um, and just, you know, got them on silage and just watch to see uh, what they, the boys do. 
So there have been releases from Lake Glen Maggie. Has that had any impact on on your place uh, this week? Yeah, we've lost about, I would say, 50 acres uh, on one of our turnout blocks. Um, If it goes much above 35, we then lose another 100 acres, um, probably 120 acres. But um, we live on a floodplain. We love where we live and it grows lots of grass. So you've got to take the good with the bad. Do you know what the releases are up to at the moment? Yeah, they're up to, um, at this stage, 25,000. They was up to 28 last night. Um, so we, once it's over that, you know, 30 to 34, we sort of, yeah, we, we start going, our flat, our irrigated country starts going under. But, you know, oh, we don't worry about anything we can't control. And we've, cattle are in high country, so they're all safe. We just look out the window, we do all our office works and clean up a few sheds and, you know, just think about how lucky we are to live in Gippsland. That is Vicky Hiscock speaking there to Fiona Broom. Let's stay with Fiona now and go to Terry Russell, who lives at Jaramond, just out the back of Orbost in East Gippsland. He says the rain's good news for the district, especially ahead of fire season. Yeah, around 140 mils. It's been pretty good and it'll do a lot of good. What are you farming at your place? Uh, Cattle and sort of hay and silage. Uh, yeah, the hay's, the hay's sort of laying down a bit, but uh, we'll get to it. Yeah, any issues there with um, your hay or your silage? No, well, we've had a good run with the silage. It was sort of shut up early and just had enough rain in October to, to uh, do a good job with it. How's your year been up to now? Has it been a little bit drier than usual? It's been very, very dry. Without without the 100 mils or we had in October, we would have been in the dire straits. What do you normally get for the year? Yeah, about 800, 800 to 900 mils. I'm guessing we're up to 530 or something in that area. So, so you're sort of nudging up to your average but still a bit short? Oh, well, we'll still be short, but it won't matter much now. Depends, we might get some more in December. That'll be good. What do you reckon this will mean for the, the fire season? We've been told that East Gippsland is at higher risk of um, fires this season. Do you think the rain will be good or bad for that? Oh, the rain will be good for the for the time being. I'm sure it uh, it'll keep keep it damp for at least a month, I guess. And whereabouts is your place, Terry? We're at Jaramond. You on the river there? Yes. Yep. Uh, has that been causing any issues? Has it come up at all? Oh well, the river's come up, and the road into the t- into the town is closed at the moment, and the Marlow Road is also closed. But on your place, you haven't had any flooding. No, but it's coming. It's predicted to be maybe up to seven metres, so that'll sort of cover the back of my place. But it does go off pretty quick. When are they predicting that for? Uh, tomorrow. So are you putting any any plans in place for that, getting ready? Well, I moved all the cattle a few days ago, so it, uh, yep, they'll be fine there up towards the front where the house is. Where I live, there'll be a few fences to repair where the drains are when the water goes through. But uh, on the other property, the... There's a pump there now trying to pump the water that's coming, but um, I think nature might win there. Some good rain at Jaramond. Amazing to hear that too from the cattle producer, Terry Russell, speaking to Fiona Broom. There, you keep telling me how much you've had. 0467 842 722 to send us a text. Steve says, was. I emptied 150 millimetres from the gauge this morning at Sarsfield. Yippee! Cheers from Steve. Hopefully I read the EP in the intent uh, the way you intended it anyway, Steve. Carl says uh, uh, 11.6 millimetres in Harston in Victoria. Uh, still uh, on the go there by the sounds of it. It's not far from me. There's a few clouds over my head at the moment. Uh, 364 millimetres over the last seven days. At, is it Wangarabell Station? That's up Genoa way, isn't it? Um, amazing figures. Incredible figures. I'd love to take the country out one day to that part of the world as well. Thank you for sending that through. Four millimetres for Kyabram for the week. Says another text message as well. Shows you the variation in all of this. Up to 200 millimetres in Denny was with flash flat flooding. Yes, indeed, Texter. We talked about that yesterday with the Grain Corp silos at Denny. Uh, looking like an inland sea. You can go and listen to that in our podcast, wherever you get a podcast if you want to go back over that. The information from, from Grant Corp was amazing to hear, but yeah, the, the pictures were incredible from Daniloquin and certainly putting the hold on uh, you know the 
what do you call it? The, the harvest there for a while. Wonga Bell says this on the text line as well. I'm sorry, I've got that wrong. Please invite me to your station. I'll make it up to you, I promise. <laughs> Let's keep talking water of another kind on the Country Hour right now uh, because the Senate this week, as we've been talking about, passed the federal government's changes to extend the Murray-Darling Basin plan. The changes remove a cap on the amount of water that can be purchased from farmers and ensures new water-saving infrastructure projects can be delivered uh, to meet environmental targets. In everywhere but Victoria, Victoria did not sign up to this plan. Victoria is opposed to water buybacks. So does this put the Victorian government at odds with the federal government on the issue of water buybacks? And can the government, federal government, that is, come into this state and buy their water anyway? Harriet Shing is Victoria's water minister and can join you now. Harriet Shing, welcome back to the country. Thanks, Warren. Good to be here. Uh, to start off, the, the Basin Plan legislation passed in Canberra this week. It had support from all the states except for yours. What does this legislation passing in Canberra mean for Victoria? Well, one of the questions that I keep being asked is that if the Commonwealth doesn't need Victoria's permission to undertake voluntary buybacks, why is it that they're also saying in the same breath that unless we sign on, they're not going to fund projects that will deliver really significant environmental outcomes. And it's either that they do need our permission or that there are other matters at play and I'm yet to get a solid answer to those questions. In the meantime, I want to continue discussions with the Commonwealth, including around a number of parts of this bill that we really agree with that we've demonstrated through our conduct and through all of our commitments, including through a pandemic and through floods, we are determined to continue to achieve progress on. That includes better compliance, better accountability, um, better monitoring, making sure that we are working really closely with traditional owners uh, and ensuring that we're taking account of the work that can be done with really great projects on the ground to get water to where it's needed. So if if under this legislation, uh, Canberra now, the federal government tries to do buybacks in Victoria, will your government challenge that? Well, Victoria's had a really long-standing opposition to buybacks and one of the important parts of the Murray-Darling Basin plan, as all jurisdictions signed up to, was a commitment to provide basin jurisdictions with certainty about their long-term future, but also to make sure that uh, socioeconomic impact was considered as part of any additional recovery of water. That means that Everyone has agreed that any recovery of water cannot harm communities. Uh, again, it's uh, it's somewhat perplexing that the Commonwealth says, on the one hand, they don't need our permission, uh, but on the other hand, uh, they're not going to fund our projects unless we give it to them. So, people, so that leads the question, uh, right? What happens now? Yeah. What happens now? This legislation has passed, and you two, your government and the federal government, have such differing views. Well, we do have a fundamental difference in policy positions on this. Victoria does, as I said, have a a, a position that's been years uh, in our um, in our discussions with the Commonwealth of opposition to buybacks. And we know in the Murray-Darling Basin Authority's own figures show the last time water was bought back in Victoria, we lost 3,200 jobs. And we know that there is harm to communities where buybacks are used as a really blunt instrument. They also don't deliver water to Victorian environments. And what people signed up for in the Murray-Darling Basin Plan was return of water and environmental improvement across all basin jurisdictions. That includes the Darling. It includes includes Upper Menindee. Uh, it's not just about one part of the basin and it includes Victorian environments. And I wouldn't be doing my job as Victorian Water Minister unless I made that really clear and continue to advocate for Victorian communities and Victorian environments across the board. What happens to Victoria's projects, uh, the Sidland projects, to, to reduce the amount needed for the environment by improving the environment, if you if you will, now that you haven't signed on to this deadline extension? I've made it really clear to the Commonwealth uh, 
for many, many months now, uh, for at least 18 months now, that we want to continue to work with the Commonwealth again to deliver that environmental benefit over time. And that includes getting water onto our floodplains rather than having it rush past those areas of really precious ecosystems uh, on its way to somewhere else. Uh, I've also said that it is in everybody's interests to provide that benefit to Victorian environments, which are as important as the environments of any other part of the basin. And I want to continue to work with them. But I'm yet to understand, as many people are yet to understand, why it is that the Commonwealth says they don't need our permission on the one hand, but that unless we give it, they're not going to fund these projects on the other. So do these projects stay on hold for the time being? Uh, at the moment, we don't have certainty on funding. And as I've said to uh, my uh, counterparts across other jurisdictions, as I've said to the Federal Minister, we are ready and willing and able to continue that work. Hundreds of thousands of hours of work have already gone into these projects. They are projects that stack up. They use proven, um, uh, proven methods of pumps and regulators to get water onto our floodplains. Uh, they have support. They have social licence. They will return really significant environmental benefit uh, to very precious ecosystems and we want to see them funded. So I'll continue to advocate for that. Uh, I remain at the table. We are determined to deliver on our commitments uh, as we did when we signed up to the plan. It's one of the reasons why we didn't have buybacks imposed upon us uh, when they were announced at the start of this year because we'd met our targets and no one can tell me of any of the jurisdictions across the basin who has done more than Victoria to deliver on the plan. So without that funding, though, from the federal government, Victoria will not continue with their projects? Well, it's hard to understand how the Commonwealth can maintain opposition to providing funding for projects that will actually deliver on the objectives of the plan. Uh, we have a lot of commentary from the Commonwealth, uh, particularly around the passage of this bill in the uh, in the Senate this week in Canberra that says that environments are of utmost importance. If that is the case, and if all environments across the basin are of equal importance, uh, then these projects should, as a matter of course, be funded so that that benefit can be received uh, across the state of Victoria. Are you feeling pressure being the only state not to sign up to this deal? Um, I'm feeling determined uh, to continue to represent Victorian communities. And as, as Water Minister, it's my responsibility to make sure uh, that the efforts that we've undertaken in efficiency, in monitoring, in compliance, in those projects to deliver for environments continue to be uh, understood and recognised uh, by the Commonwealth and by other states, and that we can continue to work towards achieving uh, everything that we signed up to under the basin uh, and continue to, to return water to the environment. Is, is it disappointing? Are a blunt though, instrument. Yeah. Is it disappointing though that the government has pushed on, federal government in this case, pushed on to pass this legislation, given so much in the basin was bipartisan until now, and clearly with your government's opposition to this, it's not bipartisan anymore. Well, the Basin Plan was always intended to be non-partisan and Victoria remains committed to delivering on that non-partisan Basin Plan. Uh, it was, in fact... Uh, all parties to the Basin Plan who signed up to the introduction uh, of those restrictions on doing harm to communities. And we're determined to continue to deliver on that work. Uh, I remain at the table. There may be fewer people sitting at the table with me at this point in time, uh, but ready, willing and able to continue those conversations. And again, um, really looking forward to understanding uh, the Commonwealth's position a little more clearly around how it says that it doesn't need our permission uh, for buybacks. But on the other hand, uh, unless we sign up, they won't deliver on any environmental Have, have you sought legal advice on that? Have you sought legal advice on whether buybacks are lawful in Victoria, if the state government's opposed? We're looking at a number of um, different components of the bill. And, and obviously, there were amendments that were part of that bill that was ultimately passed. Uh, I'm considering uh, what the overall act looks like um, as amending the, the current legislation. And I'm going to continue to work on that, including as it relates to Victoria's position under the plan that we signed up for. Um, but again, uh, the Commonwealth has no good reason not to approve uh, our environmental projects. Uh, it seems like like uh, there is every good reason for them based on everything they've said about the importance of the environment, given that Victorian environments are as important as everywhere else across the basin. Harriet Ching, thanks very much for your time. Always a pleasure.
That is Victorian Water Minister Harriet Ching speaking to you there about the situation Victoria finds itself in, opposing a bill that has now passed federal parliament, what it means for this state. As you heard, um, there's still a lot of questions to be asked over the next few weeks, and we'll have to keep an eye on things from here, and we'll continue to do so on your behalf. Plenty of text coming in. Official bomb reading in Skipton this morning was 0.4 of a millimetre, so western side of the state getting less rainfall, Warwick. Two right. Anonymous texter, which is why I'm the focus today is definitely on Gippsland when it comes to rain because that East Coast low just sat there and lots of rain has been there. And as we'll, we're about to go through some of the uh, the flood warnings, um, that's where all the action is. Uh, was 28 millimetres in the glass. No hay yet. The uh, setup is still gathering dust, says Nigel in Vespa. Love that, Nigel. Thank you very much for your text too. Uh, another one coming in um, saying uh, on weather. Sorry, text message line's going a bit funny today. 205 so far at Kalimna, is it? West Kalimna Climber, uh, West Warwick, and still raining for Noel. Thank you for that. And Leo, good old Leo. Uh, g'day, was Last Friday, I just finished sowing a paddock of sorghum and down came the cats and dogs. Up to today, we have 66.5 millimetres at Gundaring and the sorghum is sticking its ears up out of the dirt. Looks beautiful, old mate, says Leo. Leo, love those texts. Thank you very much for sending that through. ABC Radio Emergency Information. Yes, there still are those warnings out and we give them to you here on the ABC. There are major flood warnings for the Avon and Thompson Rivers for the Avon. Uh, major flooding is occurring at Stratford. The Avon at Stratford peaked at 7.26 metres at 8.30 this morning. It's likely to fall below the major flood level this afternoon and below the moderate level this evening as well. That can get up and down that river, can't it? On the Thompson, a major flood is occurring at Wandoka. Uh, and moderate flooding is occurring upstream of the Kawa Weir. Uh, the Thompson River at Wondoka is currently peaking around the major flood level of 6.7 metres. The major flood warnings for the Bem, Genoa and Buchan Rivers have all been downgraded to moderate and minor flood warnings. There are moderate flood warnings for the McAllister, Mitchell and Snowy Rivers. Uh, on the McAllister, moderate flooding is occurring downstream of Lake Glen Maggie due to flood releases from Lake Glen, Ma- Lake Glen Maggie. As we talked about yesterday on the Country Hour, obviously that's continuing. Lake Glen Maggie is currently at 4.64 metres and falling. On the Mitchell, another river that can get up and down, a moderate flood warning is in place for the Mitchell at Bansdale. Minor flooding is occurring there and the river level is steady. There are some road closures as well across Gippsland. You can see the full list on the Vic Traffic website but the Malakuta Genoa Road remains closed due to a landslide yesterday cutting off Malakuta. However, the SES says across access may resume later today. The SES has issued Watch and Act warnings for all catchments under moderate and major flood alerts. Find all the information you need to know on the Vic Emergency app or the website there. We'll give you Obviously, the information, particularly on the major and moderate flooding, though, on the on not the country, on ABC Radio, as things change as well. And remember, if you're in a life-threatening situation, triple zero. And speak to your kids about triple zero while you're at it. The amount that watch overseas TV, television programs or uh, YouTube shows or whatever it is kids are up to these days. Gosh, I sound old. Uh, not many know triple zero is the right number to call, right? So make sure members of your family know who to call when they're in a life-threatening situation. And that number is triple zero. With the ABC Listen app, you can take the cricket with you anywhere you go. Bye! Off to the beach. Take the cricket. Road trip. Take the cricket. Museum visit. Shh, take the cricket. Seriously? You want to listen? <laughs> ABC Sports, expert coverage of every test. Big shout, he's out. One day up. Australia is celebrating. And T20. Over the road for another six. Live and commercial free. So whatever you're up to this summer, take the cricket with you and listen big on the ABC Listen app. The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Helps if my microphone's on. And Millie Spencer has regional news headlines for you this afternoon. Good afternoon, Millie. Good afternoon, Warwick. Here's what's making news. Flood warnings remain in place for the Avon, Thompson and McAllister rivers. Malacuta remains cut off from the rest of the state after a landslide blocked the Malacuta genoa Road, but some emergency service vehicles can now pass through the road closure.
SES State Duty Officer Jerry Sheridan says despite rain easing, locals in Gippsland should stay alert. The Bureau is still predicting further rainfalls of 10 to 30 millimetres in the area and in some cases up to 50 millimetres. A community group alleging Vic Forest has failed to properly survey for thousands of threatened species in the Wombat State Forest has expanded its case to cover other Western Victoria forests. Wombat Forest Care was successful in its application for an injunction to temporarily halt Vic Forest's harvesting of fallen timber in the Wombat State Forest in September, and Supreme Court Justice Melina Richards extended the order indefinitely yesterday. The case will return to court next year and is expected to go to trial. A TAFE health teacher says employing multi-skilled medical staff could help alleviate the border's healthcare crisis. Enrolments in practice assistance courses have jumped by 50% in the last two years as local clinics seek employees who can perform administrative and clinical tasks. New South Wales TAFE digital clinician health teacher Emma Foley says remote learning options have been especially popular among students in rural and regional areas. Major Collision Investigation Unit detectives have charged a woman following a fatal collision in Shepparton last month. It is alleged three vehicles collided at the intersection of Old Dookie Road and Boundary Road at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon on the 20th of October. A five-year-old girl died at the scene and a 32-year-old pregnant woman was airlifted to hospital with serious injuries where her unborn baby later died. A 33-year-old Shepparton man and a 22-year-old Katindra West man was taken to hospital for observation. Major Collision Investigation Unit detectives have today charged a 26-year-old Shepparton woman with multiple offences. She's been bailed to appear at the Shepparton Magistrates Court at a later date. And that's what's making news work. Thanks very much for that. Millie Spencer there with regional news headlines. Let's find out what's happening weather-wise around the state with some extraordinary rainfall figures, particularly from Gippsland Way and that high country above it, like Wangarabell Station, which 364 millimetres over seven days will not be beaten, I think, on our program. Uh, But Stephanie Miles, a senior forecaster from the Bureau, can tell us what's happening now with the weather situation and what's to come over the next week. G'day, Stephanie. Hi, we're okay going. Yeah, good. Huge figures coming in on the text line from some of those remote places of Victoria. But uh, today, what are we looking at? Has most of the rain gone or is it still falling? Yeah, I think today we had most of the rainfall this morning. I mean, it is still falling in places over the eastern parts of Gippsland and also those northeast ranges as well. But look, I think the most of it We've seen it this morning already. However, you know, it will extend also continue throughout the day. But, yeah, the highest falls were this morning. Um, you know, upper parts of the northwest and the west, very clear. Um, you know, clear skies, sunny conditions, a very huge contrast to what we're getting over in the southeast. But, yeah, look, rain's still falling. Um, and, you know, as we can imagine because of that rain, we've still got a lot of those flood warnings out. So, you know, a variety of minor, moderate and majors. We've got major at the Avon River, the Thompson River, um, and then a couple of... Moderates and minors as well, so make sure you're up to date with those ones too. However, Warwick, I think the most interesting thing that's coming over the weekend, yesterday when we were talking, uh, it was kind of the rainfall was easing today and, you know, sticking around slightly Saturday, Sunday, and then easing off on um, through the, you know, afternoon Sunday. However, um, from tomorrow onwards, I think that rainfall over eastern Gippsland parts is actually going to be increasing a little bit more than what we originally thought yesterday. Uh, so at the moment, we're only really expecting around 15 to 20 millimetres, and it's on the forecast, but I think it actually could get a little bit higher. Uh, so places all over west and south Gippsland and over eastern Gippsland too, what we actually have is another low-pressure system that's going to be deepening over the northeastern parts of Victoria and New South Wales. Originally, we thought it would just move off eastwards and it wouldn't deepen all that much. However, it kind of seems so it's starting to strengthen a little bit, and as it does in move eastwards over throughout Saturday and throughout the night on Saturday night. Uh, we get kind of a little bit more of an increase in that rainfall in the southeasterlies just over Gippsland once again. So just flagging that for those people in that part of the, the world because, as you said, we've had some pretty significant rainfall, um, but I don't think, the, you know, it's over yet. Just yet. Yeah, so I suppose warnings-wise, obviously, we've got the, the, the flood warnings. I did the, the big read on the flood warnings just before we came to you as well and oh, before excellent. the news headlines. Um, warnings-wise across the weekend, Stephanie, what are we expecting there? 
I would just keep your eye on those flood warnings. There, you know, we did expect most of the peaks to be uh, reached overnight last night and into this morning. But with that extra rainfall, there's a chance that those peaks will drop below minor. But then with renewed river rises over the weekend as well. So just keep an eye on those warnings for the flooding. Uh, however, I think the heavy rainfall at the moment we're not looking like it will be a severe weather warning. But there is a chance that we still will get heavy rainfall uh, in thunderstorms over the weekend in the northeast. But again, just keep an eye on our website for those ones because they'll pop up as it happens. Uh, but like you said, I think the major one is the flooding at the moment, Warwick. And further out then on the forecast, what's ne- next week look like? Uh, look, if you like warm conditions, they are on our way. So from Sunday, we're starting to dry off. Monday, our winds turn northerly and we get some really high temperatures up into 34 in Mildura on Monday, uh, you know, high 20s around the rest of the state. And then on Tuesday, we are even higher again, 39 for Mildura on Tuesday as well as Swan Hill, uh, high 30s for places like Albury-Wodonga um, and then, you know, high 20s for places in the South Sydney. Uh, sorry, Melbourne getting up to 33 as well. So look, some pretty warm temperatures on the way, hopefully. That's a warm welcome to those of us who like it. And so I, I suppose the, the guys out there looking to get back on and harvest crops will be thanking you as well. Not that you organise any of this, Stephanie. You just tell us what's, <laughs> what's likely to happen. Is there any further uh, outlook on the, on the extended sort of um, forecast of more rain coming through um, at all? Or is this the last of it for some time? Look, at the moment, it looks like there might be some rainfall on Thursday and Friday with the next cold front coming through, but not anywhere near as significant as what we've had in the last couple of days. I think at the moment it looks like maximum about 5 to 10 millimetres, but again, that might change a little bit. But yeah, look, it's not anything like we've had the last couple of days. Something for us to focus on next week. Stephanie, thank you so much for the forecast. Thank you so much, Warwick. We'll speak to you later. Stephanie Miles there, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, telling you, and there was a little bit of change there, Uh, A bit more rain expected in East Gippsland where you've had the bulk of the rain as we've been discussing already on the program uh, tomorrow, which may see river rises again. That is something to keep an eye on. And obviously, if the warnings change, we'll tell you here on ABC Radio, but it is something to keep an eye on. Uh, if uh, as we go into the weekend. 0467 842 722. If you want to send us a text next, though, we'll speak to the ACCC, which has made a big decision for the dairy industry. On ABC Radio Victoria, you're with Warwick Long for the Victorian Country Hour. The ACCC has announced its decision on whether Coles can buy uh, two dairy manufacturing facilities from Saputo, fresh milk manufacturing facilities, and effectively make the supermarket a major milk processor in this country. Mick Keogh is with the ACCC, the Deputy Commissioner at the ACCC, could join you now to tell you what that decision is. Mick Keogh, welcome back to the country. Uh, thank you, Warwick. Welcome. What have you decided? Uh, we've decided to approve the purchase by of two white fresh milk processing plants, one at Liverton North and one at Erskine Park, so so in Victoria and New South Wales respectively. So why have you decided to approve? We have spoken to the industry representatives on this program in the past who were, were asking uh, for this to be blocked by the ACCC. So, so what around this purchase um, has made you comfortable enough to approve it? Well, the two two issues we had to consider. Um, one is the likely change in relation to the market for fresh milk from farms in New South Wales, and the second is the broader wholesale market um, uh, nationally uh, on the um, the market faced by dairy farmers in New South Wales. Part of this agreement is, in fact, a tolling agreement whereby Saputo will remain purchasing milk in New South Wales and has a five-year agreement to have its milk tolled processed through the um, Erskine Park plant. So uh, there's no change in that regard for Saputo's suppliers in New South Wales. They will continue uh, to have available contracts uh, with Saputo. The only change will be instead of Saputo processing it, processing it and, in fact, turning a lot of it into or some of it into Coles uh, home brand milk, it will be now Coles processing it and uh, Saputo marketing that milk under its Devondale brand. In relation to the broader wholesale market, um, there were certainly concerns expressed that uh, Coles might use these two plants to... Um, disadvantage other processors. 
Um, when we looked at it, um, Coles already accounts for 80% of the throughput of these two plants. They basically uh, are the plants that process Coles home brand milk at the moment. And uh, they will actually have quite a strong incentive to try and increase uh, processing throughput at these plants because they're quite large plants. Uh, those with a recollection of history might recall these were the ones that were built by Murray Goulburn um, for specifically for their contracts that they won with Saputo back in uh, the early 2010s. And then Saputo purchased them off Murray Goulburn when they purchased that uh, entity in 2018. So that's they're quite big and modern plants, but they also have quite high fixed costs associated with them. So whilst they might be very efficient at a high level of throughput, you do have to have that high level of throughput uh, to gain those efficiencies. So they will actually have quite strong incentives to continue processing uh, and encouraging uh, others to use the facility for their processing and therefore we had uh, less concerns about the likely impact on the wholesale market. It's an interesting time in dairy, isn't it? Because farmers have quite a lot of power at the moment. Some of that is due to the ACCC's work around the mandatory code, but also the fact there's been falling milk supply and uh, processors wanting to keep throughput. Are there any concerns or did you look at any concerns about how that might change with a with a dominant superpower owning uh, supermarket, sorry, not superpower owning the uh, processing of two factories at a time when there might be more milk and, and fewer factories wanting it? Uh, we certainly spent a lot of time looking at all the dynamics of the dairy industry. And as you're right, there's quite considerable number of different factors going at the moment. Uh, low export prices, uh, imports of um, products from or processed dairy products from overseas, um, uh, a range of those sort of factors. There's um, also um, a reasonable amount of excess capacity amongst processors, um, so quite a deal of competition um, between processors to try and attract uh, brand throughput through their through their facilities. So certainly all those factors were considered and we've had a, a very detailed look at it, um, but ultimately we came to the conclusion that uh, we cannot find a substantial lessening of competition in any specific market as a result of this transaction. And supermarkets do own processing in other areas, uh, abattoirs, for example, don't they? There's been a range of different uh, situations in relation to the relationships between uh, supermarkets and processors. And in fact, it was pointed out to me that Coles previously owned Sandhurst Dairies at Bendigo back in the early 90s. So it's not unique for retailers to um, to to take this step and uh, um, engage further up or down the supply chain. So no restrictions, um, no uh, sort of conditions put on this sale at all. Uh, no, we they uh, the parties provided us with um, their five year agreement, which confirmed that Saputo wants to stay in the fresh milk market in New South Wales. So that provided reassurance about continuing competition for fresh milk from New South Wales dairy farmers. Um, we also uh, saw quite a de detailed uh, breakdown of um, margins available to processors and others through the supply chain, and in fact, uh, highlighting that um, brands like Devondale uh, are quite uh, good in terms of margin generation and, and in fact, much better than um, home brand milk uh, through the retailer. So there's quite a, a complex set of issues under consideration in this, but ultimately... Can, can said, you explain uh, why that's important, Mick? Sorry, just to, to go off on a tangent, but in terms of margin generation from a, a brand like Saputo compared to, say, home brand milk in a supermarket context? Well, it, it looks... It, it points to the incentives various parties have uh, in relation to, for example, the presence of brands at retail. So... You know, uh, simplistically, you might say, well, won't uh, a particular retailer just use a situation like this to absolutely flood its shelves with its own home brand milk and remove the other brands? But in fact, the detailed analysis shows that the branded milk, where consumers deliberately choose a particular brand of milk, actually generates uh, 
much better margins for a retailer than the home brand milk does. Uh, and so that's why when you go into a retail store at the moment, you see quite a range of different branded milk present on the shelves, not just the retailer's home brand milk. Mick Keogh, really fascinating to get the insights behind this decision. So thank you very much for joining us on The Country Hour. Thanks, Warren. Mick Keogh, Deputy Chair of the ACCC, joining you on The Country Hour to tell you why the ACCC won't oppose. In fact, will approve uh, the Coles purchase of two milk processing factories, one at Laverton in Victoria, one at Erskine Park in New South Wales. Uh, it will now be able to process the milk. It buys from farmers and then it puts it on the shelf and sells it to you at the supermarket as well. You can send your thoughts, 0467 842 Steve said, uh, boy, this is dangerous, allowing them to own all levels of manufacturing and sales. It's a bit like a push for a cashless society. Once they control everything, they can change whatever they want. This one says, of course, it's dairy farmers don't like if, oh, sorry, of course, if dairy farmers don't like coals being in milk processing, they could form a co-op and have their own milk manufacturing plant. Oh, that's right. They had that and lost it. Uh, that's obviously a text around the collapse of Murray Goulburn there on the text line. Uh, of course, there are still milk manufacturing co-ops, one owned in New Zealand that owns Australian manufacturing called Fonterra and Norco up on the north coast of New South Wales as well. 0467 842 722. If you want to send us a text, Saputo, uh, the company that's selling those factories to Coles, we invited them on the program today to talk about the ACCC approval. They declined but said in a statement, the company says it's pleased with the decision not to oppose the sale of its two fresh milk manufacturing sites. Uh, Saputo says, despite the sale, fresh milk will remain an important part of its business. They will continue to have fresh milk products processed at the two manufacturing facilities. The company will continue its direct milk supply agreements with farmers and will continue to collect and process its suppliers' milk across four states, including Victoria. About 48 jobs across the two sites will transfer to Coles Group Limited upon completion of the sale process, which is now expected to occur towards the middle of the calendar year of 2024. And Saputo says it remains committed to the Australian dairy industry, end quote. Let's finish this week before we head to markets. Huge yarding out at Hamilton by the sounds of things. We'll get to that in a moment. But let's uh, continue our series where we've been looking at agriculture and emissions policy, particularly around international climate conference. Climate-related regulations are unlikely for Australian food and fibre producers. A leading scientist that has said, as delegates descend on Dubai to negotiate the world's climate change response. Mark Howden has been on the in Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the world's peak climate science body, since 1991 working across assessments and special reports such as the Land Use Change Report that examined agriculture and food security. With the Global Climate Summit COP28 now underway, Professor Howden says there's more for Australian producers to celebrate than fear from these talks. The, the core messages from IPCC in relation to agriculture and food is that there's already significant climate change related stresses on our systems. And we also look at the adaptation responses and we identify that there's many, many different adaptation responses in agriculture and food systems, but we're lagging behind. We're not implementing those adaptation responses that we know exist fast enough. And the last component in the IPCC is we've documented fairly thoroughly the greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture and food, uh, and they're around about 29% of the total greenhouse gas emissions. So they're actually about the same size as the electricity sector, both here in Australia and globally. So do you think in the longer term, is it possible to fully decarbonise agriculture? Well, we have to look at the full range of, of different greenhouse gas emissions, and, and they start pre-farm in things like uh, fertiliser, production uh, and, and transport of that fertiliser and production of tractors and things like that. Then on farm, there's a whole series of, of different emissions, including methane and nitrous oxide and loss of carbon to the system um, from soil carbon loss um, and vegetation loss. And then there's post-farm emissions as well. If we look at that 
Yes. Um, so, for example, transport, as we go to more electric vehicles and electric trucks, um, we'll be able to take those emissions out of the system. On the on-farm emissions, which are the biggest single emission sources, they're going to be very hard to reduce to zero. But importantly, we don't actually have to take those to net zero for methane and nitrous oxide to be consistent with the Paris Agreement temperature goals. We have to reduce nitrous oxide by about 30% and methane emissions by about 50 to 60% to be consistent with the 1.5 degree goal. Do we need to be changing what we're eating and what we're producing? In the past, we've looked at supply-side solutions, but we also need to look at the demand side, which is what are the components of, of food which are in demand. And we see, for example, that there's a steadily increasing demand for um, meat uh, protein, and that has a very high greenhouse gas footprint in most cases. And the question then is, uh, can we provide those uh, you know, appropriate dietary components, um, but uh, not necessarily using traditional livestock processes? So those, those solutions range from everything from soy milk type products to yeast based products uh, through to completely essentially vat grown meat and plant substitutes. And those are all real things. You know, we've got examples of all of them, uh, but some of them are culturally, you know, not particularly accepted at the moment. Some of them are at too high a price point. Uh, and some of them, of course, go up against existing industries, which have a very strong political voice. What do you think the world can expect from COP28 when it comes to agriculture and food systems? Well, there is a, an anticipated leader's dec declaration on food systems, agriculture and climate, and that's effectively asking countries to align their national food systems and, and agriculture strategies if they have them. So, for example, Australia doesn't have a food policy with their nationally determined contributions. So that's the commitments they're making to um, other countries in the in the COPs. There, there is going to be increased uh, focus on food security. So in this COP, there also is going to be a focus on adaptation. So uh, working through the global goal of adaptation, and and that's that's an important part of the agriculture and food picture. Is that how can we adapt? what are actually quite vulnerable systems to climate change to those climate changes so we reduce risk and improve productivity and sustainability. In terms of any potential policy or regulation outcomes, do you think food and fibre producers in Australia should be concerned? I think there's more opportunity than risk in this space. I think the opportunity, though, will mostly arise for, for those parties who are prepared. And to be prepared, you have to start to put in place uh, mechanisms which both reduce greenhouse gas emissions in cost-effective ways and also much more effectively respond to the changes that we're seeing in climate. And at the moment in Australia, we've largely dropped ball on that in an institutional sense. So at government level and at our research and development corporation level, we were global leaders going back a dozen years or more. Uh, we need to regain that momentum and bring uh, researchers, policymakers and the farming system stakeholders together to start to create new innovations which generate those opportunities. I don't see a lot of regulation uh, likely on in our Australian farming systems that's, that's going to impose uh, additional components of responsibility on our farmers. However, um, regulation may occur or legislation may occur in other markets uh, which will impact on our farmers. So, for example, carbon border adjustment mechanisms uh, may start to play a role in terms of uh, food and agriculture trade. That is IPCC member, Professor Mark Howden, the head of the Australian National University's Institute for Climate, Energy and Disaster Solutions, speaking there with Fiona Broom. Hey, Jeff's on the line uh, from Pearsdale, uh, wanting to know about a river. G'day, Jeff. Oh, that's that's Pearsondale, which is a bit different. Oh, yes, well, that <laughs> makes more sense. Pearsondale, what's going on down there? What river are you on? Oh, I'm, I'm on the Latrobe River, and it hasn't cracked a mention at all in any of the warnings. And the, the river gauge at Kilmaine has gone from 2.8 to 5 metres in the last 36 hours. And I just sort of oh. <laughs> wonder where the water's coming from. What kind of preparations have you had to do with that kind of river rise, Jeff? Oh, I got I got caught out in the last last rise and lost a pump and uh, a bit of sow and pasture. So this time I've pulled the pump out and shifted cattle. And that was last week um, uh, in anticipation of what might happen. But uh, they said nothing's happening, but it's not what I can see. Jeff, leave it with me. I'll ask afternoons or drive today to ask about the Latrobe River so we can get an update for you, okay? Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, mate, Jeff. At Pearson Dale. I got that right eventually.
One market today, and just before I play that one market, apologies for yesterday. Massive technical problem getting the market out of Wagga, which is why you ended up getting a Wodonga cow market, I think, instead of the Wagga sheep. My apologies for you for that, and I know Leanne apologises as well, the market reporter. I need a holiday after all these mistakes. I'll catch you in a few weeks.